Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We have allowed ourselves to become so disconnected and ignorant about something that is as intimate as the food that we eat. Be prepared to grow your own for victory. God said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink foamed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. Well, hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornbro, and glad you're joining me again today. This is episode 123. It's May 29th, 2019, and today we're going to talk about, well, spring 2019, the state of the homestead. Um, So on this podcast episode, I'm going to chat all about the progress and plans, as well as the successes and failures at our little small town homestead. So I'm going to go beyond the homestead a little bit and talk about the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm going to talk about our Homestead Front Porch Facebook group, and I'm going to talk about our membership community a little bit also. And for some of you, you may not be interested in a show like this, but I know most of you are. I mean, a lot of you guys really like the Homestead updates and hearing about what we're doing right around here. So that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, we've had a lot of interviews lately, and those have been those have been a lot of fun. I've been learning a lot too, right along with all y'all. And um, you know, we're going to get back to those. I got a couple lined up already, so we're definitely doing more interviews. But I just wanted to break away this week for a solo show and actually I didn't even get a show out last week because well it's been very busy around here you know and, and when the rain breaks for just a little bit it's just every all attention goes to the garden and outside and getting projects done and I don't really want to stop for anything else so it's been a little bit um, tough to to get in on the computer and get some stuff done for the podcast and the website and and other things uh, but it's going well and um, you know I feel like we're finally at a point now where i can talk a little bit about some of the progress we've made and some of the things that are going on so without further delay let's just jump right into it let's let's talk about the garden and uh you know the first thing i always think of when i think of the garden is soil preparation we've been building the soil here for a few years now and i've done a video back real early in the spring of how good the soil is in my raised beds this year i mean i can just take my arm and just shove my arm clear down into the soil and it's so soft and so loose and um you know, I really didn't have to do much to it this year. I, I just kind of raked it smooth and, and planted some plants in it. I really didn't, uh, I really didn't do anything. I had, I've been adding some comfrey. I mean, I didn't even add manure or anything. I put compost on it back in the fall and I didn't even compost it this spring. It was doing so well and it looks so rich that I just kind of left it alone. I did, like I said, after I planted some plants, I've been doing some chop and drop comfrey, um, uh, to the, to the soil around the plants and stuff. But Really, that's it this year. So soil preparation has uh, has gone well, and I feel like we're in a really good place on that. Even even on the in the parts where I'm planting directly in the ground up along the side of my house and stuff, that soil's looking really good. Now I did I did a wood chip uh, type thing there. I mean, I actually covered that in wood chips, and I kept raking it back to plant in. And the wood chips have done a lot for that soil because that was a little bit more compacted up alongside of my house. And I wanted to do something. I didn't really want to till the very first year I tilled it, but I didn't want to keep tilling it. Um, so I just, I did the, the wood chip thing and just added a couple, you know, probably about four inches of wood chips to it. And, um, and it's done a lot of good for that. And most of them wood chips have turned into soil at this point. I haven't added any more. Don't know if I'm going to or not. I mean, I might, um, I'm doing so much 
uh, like I said, with the chop and drop with the comfrey, that that works as a mulch. I mean, that's that, I'm not doing the wood chips per se, but I'm doing a mulch with with the comfrey, and I'm laying it down pretty thick around the plants up there. But we'll get to that in a minute. I'm going to do kind of a walk around the property and just talk about oh what I'm doing in each area of the homestead here as best I can anyway. Uh, I'm sitting here at my computer, so I'm going to try to do like a mental uh, kind of walkthrough from the property. And, and we'll just see, you know, what I've got going on each year. I'm sure I'll forget a few things here and there, but just kind of an overview of what the property's looking like, how each section is doing, and um, kind of what we're doing there. So as we kind of walk through our front gate, of course, around the front of the house, we have, it's more ornamental we have hostas which are edible but you know we have hostas up in the front but we also have some other flowers and plants and some hanging baskets and things like that and we kind of keep the front of the house more ornamental and it looks nice you know and and my wife likes that that's her little area and she she kind of dresses that up but as we walk through our side gate that comes down alongside of our house the very first thing you encounter is is a um, is a pot that's like a half barrel pot and in that i've got something we just purchased this year which was teddy bear sunflowers and those aren't growing really fast they're kind of slow growing i thought maybe they'd shoot right up like a full size sunflower does these are a little bit smaller i think they get about oh i think 12 to 16 inches tall i think is what the packet said but right now they're about three inches tall and they, the leaves are getting pretty wide on them but they had a little bit of bug pressure on them as well i've seen some holes in the leaves so that's something i'm kind of excited to see grow hopefully they mature and they they flower and they look nice um, but right behind that we have the strawberry patch strawberry patch is already producing ripe strawberries i picked a whole bowl just yesterday and posted a picture on instagram and uh my grandson already had a strawberry out of it a couple days ago so yeah it's it's producing some uh some some good strawberries already and then i'll just go ahead and work down alongside the house here and then we'll go to the other side along the fence uh down along that side i'm, I'm really trying to to turn that area into more of a perennial area now we are we are planting some annuals there but i, I i'm just wanting to establish a, a a solid row of perennials all along the side of the house. Um, just because it's it's not the most convenient area for me to work on. I just don't go up in that section as much as I go into the backyard. Uh, so, you know, I, I just want stuff that's a little bit more carefree, doesn't require me going in there every day and putting hands on things and picking things and whatnot. But, you know, I do, it is a productive area. There's lots of sunshine. It gets the most sun of anywhere on the property. So it's just been a great place for perennials. Matter of fact, we've had to do something about so much sun in that area. And I'll talk about that in a minute, but, uh, working on down right behind the, uh, the, uh, strawberries, of course, which are perennial, I have the, um, some rose bushes and, and those are, you know, growing well. Those were actually planted there before the strawberries were planted there. They're right up against the house, kind of growing up against the house. And they're just, they're already, uh, have some really nice flowers on them this year, looking really nice. And, you know, I love flowers space as small as mine. You'd think I wouldn't waste a lot of energy on flowers, but you know, I like the flowers. They really do a lot to add to the to the property and they draw in pollinators and you know i just enjoy looking at them you know it's nice to stroll around the garden and not just see your vegetables but also see a few flowers and as we move on down though we we come to a couple blueberry bushes i actually moved a couple as i've talked about before we removed two beds out of the backyard to put up a swing set this year 
And, you know, I had to kind of make move some stuff around. At the ends of those beds, though, I had blueberries. I had a blueberry bush at the end of each bed and also had comfrey, which I also moved, which we're hoping we moved anyway. I'm pretty sure we'll be okay because the kids are so active in that area. Uh, they'd probably keep anything stomped down that tried to grow anyway, but uh, keep it compacted pretty good. Um, but I, I moved two blue the two blueberry bushes right to that area. So they're right there. And then Right along the front of all these perennials, though, we are putting some annuals. I mean, I'm working in, uh, see, I put in some rainbow chard along that area. Squash, I have uh, butternut squash and uh, yellow crookneck squash in that area. So we're kind of working that in the bigger spots, putting the uh, rainbow chard in between those things, kind of just to kind of fill in the spaces. And um, even a few turnips are going in that area, which will do nice to help even continue to break up that soil. So we, we have a lot, you know, of annuals right along the front of all the perennials, but the perennials I'm putting closer to the house in the back because they're taller generally, and we're keeping the shorter, lower stuff in the front, the annuals that I'm going to be picking from more often. Now, as we move on down, I added a couple things into that section. Also, I added a couple of current bushes, two, two different varieties, uh, a black current and a red current uh, in that area also. And those are already growing really well. I got those as bare root from Stark Brothers. And uh, they're doing really well. I was actually amazed at how quickly they took off, putting off leaves really, really fast. So those look really good. I think they're going to be great. Um, we come to a, a little section where I have actually a little tiny pond that I put in, which I need to clean up desperately because it looks horrible. But on both sides of that, I took some of the comfrey that I removed from those back beds, and I transplanted it right there on both sides of that pond. They'll do a lot to shade that pond, plus draw in pollinators to that area. So they'll be fine right there. And I did, I just put them on ex right up against that pond on both sides of that little tiny pond. And like I said, that pond is, is kind of just a decorative little pond. It's not really serving a lot of purpose. I throw a couple goldfish in there every year, just in case any mosquito larvas in there or anything like that. But I haven't yet and I need to, but I need to clean it first. Cause it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty bad looking. Um, I do have a little solar powered fountain, uh, uh, pump that goes in there as well. And uh, I got to hook that all up too. So that'll, it has a nice, you know, flow of water um, and a couple fish in it. So it looks nice. It's a nice place. We also have a, a bird bath right there next to it and that I keep full for the birds and, and, and bees and things like that to get some water. So it, it just adds to that area. Moving on down though, um, we come to our goji berry bush, that crazy, crazy goji berry bush that I cut to almost the ground last year. I mean, I cut it down to just maybe a, a six or eight inch, uh, uh, plant last year because it took over. I mean, that thing was, um, it was probably, uh, eight feet tall and it had spread to probably about eight or 10 feet wide. I mean, it just took off, took over that entire area with, uh, with goji berries and it was putting off a ton of berries and that's awesome. But it really just it really thickened up and spread. As a matter of fact, I took a whole bunch of cuttings because it actually laid its branches down in the mulch and it rooted. It took root along those branches. And I had all these branches had roots just sticking out of them. So I, I actually cut those branches off, took the roots, planted them in uh, pots. And I've got a whole bunch of, uh, of goji berry uh, plants in pots out, out there right now that I've gave a couple away. I still got a few I want to give away. I'm just going to give them away to anybody that wants them here locally. I'm giving them to people because I just, you know, they're great. They're, they're a great plant, but I'm telling you what, you want to plant those things 
in a place where you don't care if they take over. And they also have some pretty nasty thorns on them. I'm, I'm talking over an inch long thorns when I'm fully grown, and they are pointy. I mean, they're very, very sharp thorns. So you definitely want to pay attention to where you're planting goji berry. I would have never planted it in that area if I had done a little research on it and known how big it was going to get and, and the thorn issue that it has. But my plan is just to keep that thing uh, really cut back to maybe just a couple, you know, a couple feet uh, wide and, you know, two or three feet tall. I'm going to really keep it cut back. I don't even know if it'll fruit real well keeping it that, that size, but I can't let it take over either. Because also just right down from that, I've added uh, two elderberry bushes um, two different varieties there. I'm trying to think um, what those two varieties are. Adams and Johns, I believe, are the two I added there. And um, they're they're doing really well, too. I purchased those from Stark Brothers also, Bare Root. They're growing very well also. So I'm very, very pleased with the Bare Root uh, bushes that I received from Stark Brothers. So I'm going to go ahead and just recommend them if you want something. I don't know, you know, as far as year-round, what kind of uh, quality you'll get later in the year but for early spring um, buying bare root plants from them has has worked out really really well now traditionally in this area i've, I've added um, i've put in tomatoes and things like that and grew them up here in the front as well i'm not doing that this year like i said i'm going i'm trying to just work all the way down through there and put more perennials and this takes us all the way back to the gate the fence area in the gate that goes to the backyard and again in this area too right in front of those i've continued to work in the squash and the chard and the turnips uh, just kind of just alternating a little bit around on those things and, and, and working them into the bare spaces of that area. It's not a huge area, but we're, I'm trying to make the most of it and, and use up all the space um, in there by working in different plants. And again, continuing to add to that perennial uh, area. Um, just because so, it's like I said, it's an area I don't come up to as often. I, I go up in there two or three times a week. For some reason, I just don't walk up that area very often. I go to the backyard and I come back in the house. I don't walk through that gate um, very often and walk down through there. Not every day like I do the backyard. So that's all up against the house right there. And that's about a four, three, three and a half, four foot wide bed out from the house that I've got all that stuff worked in there. Now on the other side uh, of the sidewalk there, which I have the fence and some of you have seen our walkthrough video from last year where I kind of did a walk around video on YouTube. Um, you can go back and look at that. I've changed a, quite a bit actually since that video, but it gives you an idea of the layout of our property. We have a, a ranch style fence that goes down along the whole side of our property right there. And I've put in a gravel sidewalk all the way to through there that kind of turns and twists all the way through the back of the property and then i've trails cut off that into our little lot here but uh right along that fence i have the sidewalk well right up against that fence i've also got trees planted i have um right when you walk through the very front gate to the right there is a cherry tree that's that's probably that is the oldest tree on our property at the moment and it we have yet to get a cherry from it um i planted it uh what about six years ago i think so and, and somebody might say well you need you need another cherry tree well the neighbors have one i mean right probably 50 uh, feet away in our neighbor's yard they have a cherry tree also and it does put off cherries this one is yet to put off any cherries now i've haven't pruned it very well in the past this year was the first year i really went crazy pruning it and cut it back and kind of gave it some opening and you know, just opened it up a little bit hoping maybe that'll help it produce some cherries but yeah we haven't seen a cherry from that tree yet so i'm hoping maybe this is the year we'll see it did have a lot of flowers early spring so we'll see if that uh, means anything uh walking on down though i have the I have the three uh, pear trees that I put there 
a couple years ago, and those are doing really well. Now I'm going to keep those at about 12 feet tall. So I, I heavily, uh, I heavily pruned those this year, cut them way down. Um, they had got up around 14 feet and the branches were getting a little crazy, but I cut everything down, kind of rounded everything, kept them at 12 feet. And, uh, and again, I don't want them getting super high, but they were a necessary part of that area because there was too much sun getting on that. That is the South side of my house. And the sun was just beating that little garden right along the house to death. So putting those trees there and I spaced them out to where it doesn't block all the sunlight, but it gives that area breaks from the sunlight throughout the day. It's close enough to the house to where the sun kind of goes through them leaves up again, you know, and down to the ground level uh, at, at the house. And it just works perfect. It's a nice little uh, sunscreen, but just periodically you have these, you know, where maybe there's an hour of sunlight between each tree getting to the ground level up against the house. So it works really, really well. It's, it's the way we've planted them, the way I've spaced them out has worked just perfect for that. But I don't want them getting crazy, crazy tall either because as those pear trees start to produce, I want to be able to harvest from them easily. And I just don't want really big giant trees. There's a lot right along the house. Um, you know, they were an actual semi dwarf variety, but they rose to 14 feet pretty quick. And I don't know how tall they would have got if I just let them go, but I'm going to keep them at about 12 feet because, and I'm going to keep them all the same height and keep them looking nice. And in a row, and they just look good. They're, they're nice looking trees right there. Now, on the sidewalk, the gravel goes, I actually built boxes around those trees and the sidewalk, actually the gravel goes all the way to the fence, um, for that sidewalk. So basically those boxes or the dirt boxes, uh, around the trees, but right on the gravel between the trees, I've got pots. Now I've expanded the, the, uh, the planter garden, uh, where I'm planting a lot more stuff in planters this year because I took out two raised beds. I've been trying to make up for that in a lot of ways. So I'm actually got peppers in pretty good sized pots down through there. I think I've got four, um, bell peppers along that fence right there. So between the trees. So that's going to work out really well. They seem to be doing really well. They they look like they're thriving. These are probably, I think these are five gallon pots. So five or six gallons they are pretty good size. They're pretty good size pots. Um, but they look like they're doing really well. You know, uh, peppers do pretty good in pots here. I've grown them. I've grown them in pots before in the past. They seem to do pretty good, better than the tomatoes. I've grown tomatoes in pots as well. Cause I considered putting tomatoes back there again, but, um, as I have had tomatoes up, there. I did cherry tomatoes up there last year. They didn't do too bad, but again, I don't get up there every day. And I felt like the tomatoes required a little bit more water than peppers do. Peppers can, uh, so if we have like a little dry spell and I only get up there every, you know, every couple days to water, you know, that the peppers I think will do a lot better than the tomatoes did, uh, especially the cherry tomatoes. They seem like they dried out quite a, quite a bit, uh, you know, when we go without rain for a few days. So that's what I'm doing up through there around those trees. Some of you have maybe seen that I have comfrey around those trees. Again, that's good for chop and drop a chop and drop around the trees. It's what I use to chop and drop in the garden across from it and keep that soil really, really healthy. So there's comfrey around those trees. Well, two of those trees have comfrey around them. I actually did that as an experiment. I left one without comfrey and two with, cause I wanted to see if there'd be a growing difference in that, in those trees. And, um, to be honest, I thought I might see, but I haven't really seen, but I do chop and drop. So I chop and drop around the other tree, even though I'm not growing the comfrey right next to the tree. So it doesn't create that, that living mulch around that tree, but I mulch it quite heavily with the comfrey leaves. So it's probably the same benefit 
for the for that tree as the other two, even though I don't have the the comfort plant there. I think I will plant a couple there though, uh, just because I like what it does in the fall. It kind of lays over and uh, dies and it's piled. Um, I let it get kind of tall right before winter, and it'll just kind of lay down and die, and it creates this this you know dead mulch around the tree. Kind of looks almost like a wood chip pile would be up against a tree around a tree. Um, only this is was just a living plant that died off and mulched. You know, basically just creates a an insulation and a mulch around the tree, and it works really really well. And I did that last year, and all that died to the ground. I mean, it all went away, and it came back this year, and it was just it's a living mulch that, in my opinion, looks better than wood chips and has a lot more benefits so um, some of you may have seen pictures of that i've posted before in the past it works really really well i I like eventually i'll probably do that to all the trees i have on the property i'll either do hostas or comfrey hostas work well for that as well they they die back come back and you don't have to worry about mulching anything you don't have to worry about you know like pulling grass or pulling weeds or even mowing up around trees you have that that living mulch around it that just takes care of all that for you comes back every year and you don't have to worry about it so it's something I really, I think works really, really well around the trees. Um, that's pretty much all I have up in that area around. Oh, well, I guess up in by the cherry tree, I do have another blueberry bush that's doing horrible. That thing just is not doing well at all. I actually have some mint. That box actually actually has some uh, mint growing in, in it as well. Um, not sure if that was a great idea. It hasn't really spread out of that box yet, but I could see it doing that at some point out into my yard because <laughs> right there on the other side, there's not much of a border. There's just a two by four border keeping it from the yard, which as you know, doesn't keep it from the yard at all. Really. It can just root right underneath that and start spreading through the yard. So it hasn't become a problem and it's been there two years, I think. So it's no big deal, I guess if it does, but it probably wasn't the best idea for mint. Okay. Let's go through the gate into the backyard and right off the bat, I have an herb garden. We have planter boxes all up against the fence um now i kept those herbs alive all winter long in the greenhouse and i just moved the boxes back out there that's where i've kept them for the last couple years right along that fence what works well uh, for that being an herb garden is right outside our back door we walk through our back door our decks right there and then right to our right is our little herb garden so it's it's basically a kitchen herb garden so everything's right there i mean you're you're 10 12 steps from the kitchen to the herb garden so you can pick some herbs if you want bring them in the kitchen cook with them and have fresh herbs right there just a few steps away from the kitchen so we like that that's why those are all right there and they do really really well right there in pots Um, they're just they're the long tray type pots not real deep maybe six eight inches deep and they're growing really well they've been in there for a couple years and they're doing fine and like i said i just moved them to the greenhouse kept them going all winter and they're they're doing great um, going on back, we have our first apple tree. That apple tree is doing pretty good. It, it, I think we got maybe four or five apples on it last year, but I think it's a, this will be the third year for that tree. So it, you know, it produced a couple apples and I don't really want it producing a lot when it's not no bigger than it is, but it's, it grew quite a bit. The limbs got a lot thicker this year. So if it puts off a few more this year, that'd be great. Um, around the base of that tree, I also have a box around that tree that the gravel sidewalk continues. I have a wood box around that tree as well for the soil and in that underneath that tree now i did kind of something a little experimental last year i didn't plant comfrey there but a lot of plantain started growing there so i just kind of let that plant 
plantain go to seed and spread throughout that box. So there's some plantain working almost like hostas in there. You know, it's it's kind of, you know, plantain's got the wider leaves, or this kind does. There's a couple of different kinds of, of, of plantain, but this kind is the wide leaf uh, plantain. And it just spread all through that box. And it worked a lot like the comfrey or a hosta would. It just spread around that tree and it created a ground cover. And that's nice because, of course, it's, it's edible. It's edible for the livestock. It's actually medicinal. So it's nice having that right there um, out the back door as well for medicinal reasons. We use that. So, I mean, it's really good for, like, bug bites and bee stings and things like that. So we like having some plantain right there. And it seems like it's coming back very strong this year. So that's great. I'm going to leave that there. And that's basically going to be the ground cover around that apple tree. Now, on back, take a few more steps. And if you look to the... Um, to the to the left there we actually have a, an apple tree that i planted in the deck okay on the back side we have our gazebo that covers our covers our main deck but then if you step off of that deck we have a another deck area that's kind of outside the gazebo and in that i actually cut a hole in the corner of the deck and planted a an apple tree in there a couple years ago and that thing's doing really good as well it's it's the tallest apple tree i've got i can't remember the variety on that at the moment. I've got this stuff written down somewhere, but that one grew really tall for some reason. It's a really tall. I mean, I, when I say really tall, it's, it grew faster than the others. I'm keeping it a little short. I mean, again, I'm probably not going to let that one get over about 12 foot tall. Um, I think I cut it at 12 feet this year when I pruned all the trees, um, but it grew faster than all the others for some reason. And it's doing really well right through the deck. Like I said, I, I boxed it in, put a little frame around it coming right up through the deck. And, um, it's doing really, really good, and I like it there. It's just it creates a nice little I don't know. It just looks good there, and uh, it may create a mess later, but right now I like it there. Now on the gazebo, I'm considering doing something right along the edge. We have that sidewalk's about it's pretty wide right there, probably four feet wide right there, and so there's a lot of space there that's unnecessary. But I thought about putting boxes along the side of the gazebo. Now, I don't want to do the whole side because we step off on that side a lot. But I thought about just on the two ends by the posts, creating some boxes and actually attaching some uh, uh, trellis there of some some kind. Maybe just some lattice, uh, maybe like some two-foot lattice on each corner there and, and a couple small boxes and growing something vining up along the trellis right there it would create a little bit more of a shade because that would be on the south side of the gazebo and it would, it would help shade off a little bit inside the gazebo even more and it would give us a little bit more growing space i mean you could do something as simple as, as green beans there if you wanted to um so i haven't done that yet but that's something i might do and try to grow something that'll climb up right there Something I could take, you know, it's clean out easily or even take the trellis down if I, later if I didn't like it or I don't want to keep it there through the winter. But I thought that might be a nice touch. Now, that, that gazebo does have curtains that I can close and even a screen that you can close. So I'd have to figure out a way to so it didn't mess with that. It would have to be on the outside of that. Um, I, I have to look at it a little bit closer. It's just something I've been kind of uh, kicking around in my mind. I've been trying to really maximize the growing spaces in other areas because I did take out two raised beds this year. I've been trying to kind of you know, add to the garden in other ways to make up for that. But I, I've already made up for it uh, as you'll hear in a few minutes, but I'm trying to even add more to the property. Now we kind of do like a, a little walk around right there. It kind of walks around the deck. The sidewalk moves around the deck. So we're just going to follow that sidewalk, but off to the, uh, to the right, all the way down the fence line, 
again, the, there's blackberries and raspberries all the way down that fence line. Uh, that's something I didn't take those out. I did cut them way back, even though I put the, the playground right there for the kids. It's right there in that area, right off the deck. I left the blueberries and, and, and raspberries down through there, or I'm sorry, the uh, blackberries and raspberries down through there. And now the, the raspberries do have thorns, but they're such a small thorn. I don't really worry about it. I mean, the kids go over there and pick raspberries off of it. And they don't get into the thorns really that bad or anything. It doesn't really scratch them or anything. They're such small thorns. The black, the, uh, the blackberry variety I have are thornless. So I don't worry about that for the kids, but, uh, but yeah, the all the way down through there, uh, I left all that just raspberries and blackberries all the way down that fence row. So this is work back around. Of course, the playgrounds right there to the rise were we kind of do like a little um, zigzag around the, the, the deck. So there's really nothing right there. I took out everything. There was blueberries. There was the two raised beds. All that was right there. But as you walk forward, come around the, the corner there, looking straight ahead is the pond. Now, right next to the pond, of course, there's a there's a big bush that I can't remember what it is. It's not an edible bush, but it creates a shade for the pond. Looks nice. Then we have a, a comfrey plant there that I use for some chop and drop because there's a long bed right there. Now, last year, what I grew in that long bed was, I don't remember. Oh, I had some onions in there and I had, what else did I have in there? I had, I can't remember what I had in there last year. Oh, I had uh, some romaine lettuce in there last year. And um, this year I swapped it up. There was, I left one big giant onion in there, two, two giant onions in there to go to flower because if you leave them over to the next year they'll flower and create the seeds and i collect the seeds from them they were were doing really well so i just left them in there over the winter and they have already come back and are already growing a seed starting to grow a seed head a flower so i'm glad i left those right in the middle they're dead center in that bed it's a long bed like a narrow and long bed but i transplanted some okra in there i had some growing in the greenhouse i transplanted it in there well we had so much rain that it just it killed that okra it just i don't know it just it just wouldn't stop raining for several days and that okra just started getting worse and worse and worse started yellowing and it just finally died um so i actually planted okra from seed in there again i started it over and it's just starting to sprout hopefully it does okay in that bed i don't know if there was further issues other than just the rain but there was an issue there it killed all the okra but i'd like to have okra there it'll be nice and tall right there the beds the bed isn't real tall it's only like a 12 inch tall bed but with some ochre growing in there, it'll be a really tall area. It'll create like this, um, I don't know, almost like a tunnel effect along that walkway because you'll, you'll have the real tall ochre on one side of you. So I thought that'd be kind of a cool place for it. But then when we come to the end of that bed, you have the greenhouse. So actually right in front of the greenhouse, I built another bed and it's about a two foot. Well, we have our deck that's in front, but just on the front of the deck, I built like a two foot wide bed right there. And um, I put beans, uh, uh, bush beans in there. And I also, there along the, behind the beans are peppers. It's going to be a little taller. I put um, some banana peppers there. And then I'll have some lower um, bush beans growing in front of those. You're going to hear some of this stuff and it doesn't sound like they're good companions. Some of these things aren't really good companions for one another. But I don't really have a lot of issues with that. I, I grow so much in tight quarters that pretty much anything I grow anywhere is kind of working as a companion plant in this place because everything's so close to everything here. So we, I just work things in an experiment. You, you'll hear some things aren't great companions, but in the end, it doesn't affect things a ton. There's some things I won't grow next to some things and some things I do, you know, um, but or I'll try, even though it might say it's not the best companion, but I wanted, I put those peppers and those, and those, um, bush green beans together. They're actually a purple bean. They're not actually a, a bush, uh, green bean. I mean, they're a purple bean. They turn green when you cook them, but they actually are purple when they grow. But I put those along the front there and, and in front of that greenhouse. 
in the greenhouse, we'll be growing tomatoes and peppers. I did a video about that uh, last week where I was prepping the beds, getting the beds ready. I removed the shelving, but the framework for the shelving serves like tomato cages, really. And I planted, um, see, I planted three tomatoes, beefsteak tomatoes in there and uh, two uh, banana peppers and one jalapeno pepper in the greenhouse. That's all that's in there. It's going to be growing in there this year. So I didn't want to overdo it this year and stuff it full because it gets a little out of control in there. But yeah, I've got that going in there right now. But also have my brooder in there right now for the quail. I'll talk about that in a minute when we get to livestock. But I have the brooder sitting in there right now also uh, for the quail I have that I hatched here a couple weeks ago. Okay, back outside the greenhouse, along the side of the greenhouse, we have a little bed there. That's all flowers this year. That's tulips and some more of those teddy bear sunflowers. And I think that's it in that area right now. So it's just all flowers along the outside of that that raised bed this year. Generally, I grow some things there. I've grown lots of food there in the past, but this year I just put all flowers along there. I thought it looked nice along the um, along the greenhouse, so I went all flowers right there. Now we came to our left. We have our two raised beds. I left. We had the four pallet raised beds. I left two of them, and they're packed full. They have all kinds of stuff in them. I did put a um, a trellis over the two beds this year. I kind of created this arch trellis from one bed to the other bed, and I'm walking green beans. Uh, I have seen these um, Chinese long beans that I'm growing up over those. But I'm also trying a little something a little experimental too. I kind of grew those to the inside of the trellis a little bit, and then on the very outside corners of the trellis, I planted beefsteak tomatoes. And what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to, to prune those tomatoes in such a way that I'm going to try to do one long main stem and vine it up along the outer uh, side and on the, on the outside of that trellis on the, on the edge of it and, and keep them tied up all the way to the points on both sides. I started at both ends and I'm going to try to, so basically I'm going to walk the tomatoes up on the edge of the trellis, try to prune it that way and have tomatoes all on the edge of the trellis and then green beans on the inside of the trellis all growing the rest of the fence area. So it's basically just a cattle panel that I made an arch out of. And and like I said, one edge of it will be tomatoes. Hopefully I can prune it in such a way that it does that. And then the green beans, all the rest of it. So the Chinese long beans. So those will be, that'll be pretty neat if it works out well, I think. And again, this is toward the north side of the bed. So it's not really shading anything out or anything because I'm using the rest of the bed um, for other things. Uh, so I've got, um, at the far end of that bed, I have some cauliflower and broccoli. Um, I've also, and that's on the one half of the bed. Um, but on the other side of the bed, I have, uh, beets and some radishes. So radishes are already about done. I'm getting ready to go out there and pick a bunch of those uh, probably this week. And the beets are, are growing really well too. So that's the rest of that bed is all that move to the other bed though. And I have a couple more tomato plants, and then I have, um, and that's beefsteak. And I think I have a um, Cherokee purple in there as well. And then the rest of that bed, uh, I have some uh, romaine lettuce in the middle. And then at the very end, I have uh, onions. So and those are doing really good. I actually started those from seed back in January. And they are really, really big already. So they're going to be some nice big onions out of that bed. If I move on closer to the back of the property, there's a couple beds back there. Again, another hoop trellis that comes up all out of the one bed. And it actually goes over the exiting gate of the back of my property. And I'm walking cucumbers up that. 
The rain has also caused me a lot of problems with cucumbers. I thought I was going to have to replant those from seed, but they seem to be coming back. At least two of those cucumber plants seem to be coming back. I had three there. Two of them look like they're coming back. So I might just plant one more from seed and see if it'll catch up. But so that's on the edge of that bed to go up the trellis over the exit gate from the backyard. And then in the front of that bed, I also have some uh, cabbage. I put cabbage all on the other side of that bed. Um, so I think there's four heads of cabbage there. Now, when I go against the fence on the other side there, there's another little bed there and I have two tomatoes there. I have a, another Cherokee purple and a uh, cherry, large cherry tomato there. I also have a whole bunch of pots sitting in this area because I have potted up a bunch of tomatoes. Uh, that's where the goji berry, some comfrey. I have, I don't know, there's probably about 40 pots a gallon pots of plants there that I've been selling some, giving some away, just, just all kinds of stuff with them. So I have a lot of, a lot of potted plants out there right now. Um, on the other side though, we have our grape arbor. Now I've been expanding that grape arbor. Well, I've been taking what was a basically a grape trellis and turning it into an arbor. So I, I dropped some posts and I've created a, a, a cattle panel, uh, top that it'll basically, you can walk under. So the grapes will hang down off of the, the cattle panels that are laid flat across the the posts and they'll hang down uh, in there. Now, what I'm considering doing, I'm do, considering doing something kind of different with this area. This is about a, I don't know, it's eight feet wide by 16 feet long, I think, area that I'm making this all into a grape arbor. I'm actually considering fencing this in and putting bird netting even on the inside of it and turning this into a quail run underneath that. It'll be really, really shaded with lots of thick leaves from the grapevines above. And um, I just think it might make a really cool area to, to put a bunch of quail in, put me a little door on it to get in and out of there. And you'll have the grapes hanging down. I'll have the quail running underneath. I haven't fully, I'm not fully sold myself on that yet, but it's something I'm looking at pretty serious because I think it'd, it'd be a great area to run some quail. They'd be really shaded. They'd be outside. They'd be on the ground. Um, there's a lot of comfrey growing in there already. There's a lot of day lilies growing in there also, uh, tiger lilies. So there'd be food for them. I mean, they could actually just forage for a lot of their food. Plus one thing I like about raising quail in the ground is I've done it a little bit in the greenhouse at one point. Uh, they're very messy birds. In other words, they waste a lot of food. They stick their heads in the food bowls and they'll sling anything they can and they'll pull it out and drop it. I mean, I've seen people, well, if you, make it so you, they stick their heads in a in a bowl through a hole and then they have to eat in there and they can sling their heads around no, they can't throw it around no they can't but i've actually watched them pick the food up bring it out of the hole and just drop it through the cage and um and they'll just drop it they'll just they're just messy little birds they waste a lot of food well when they're on the ground they don't really waste it because i'll sling it and then they'll eat it off the ground so you actually save a lot on food costs when you raise quail on the ground, I've noticed that. And I raise them in cages. So I'd like to put a few of them on the ground. And that would be a nice area to have them on the ground, cut back on the food. Plus, they eat comfrey. So they love comfrey. And I don't think they wouldn't be quite like a chicken. They wouldn't overtake the comfrey. I think a chicken go in there and just scratch that comfrey and just tear it to bits and probably kill it. The quail ain't really like that. They don't scratch it up. They just peck at it. They just eat it, you know? And I don't think they would overtake comfrey, not those plants. Those plants are really established in that area. So I, I think it would make a nice quail run in there. So it's something I'm considering uh, doing. 
but anyway, that's that area. And on the outside of that fence, I could even walk up on the outside. If I fenced up the sides of that, I could, I have some, uh, some, uh, gourds and, and things like that. I could, I could, you know, vine up the sides of that and even create more of a, you know, a, a wall, so to speak, a green wall really shade that area in for them. Cause they, they don't like the sun as much. I mean, they like being in the shade. They want to get in there and kind of hide. They like to hide, you know, so it would create like this private area for them. That would be really nice. So it, you know, it also creates more trellis area for me by fencing up the sides. So that's something I might do. Cause the grapes pretty much still lay across the top. They kind of grow across the top and vine out. Um, Walking on around that path, though, we come, I have a planter on, on the end there with some stuff in it. Uh, I have another apple tree to my uh, left there. That apple tree is the apple tree that's been here the longest, and it puts off way too many apples for as small of a tree as that is. Way too many apples. I have to, like, puck so many apples off of that thing. It's ridiculous. And I let a bunch of them go, and it weighted down the branches and even broke some of the branches last year. So I'm real. it still didn't grow a ton right there. So I'm... I think I'm going to pretty much pick probably 90% of the apples off of that as they start to grow this year and not let them get so big that they weight that tree down. Cause I don't know what it is about that tree, but that little tiny tree, it's probably only eight feet tall and the branches aren't very big on it, but I don't know. That thing probably produced a hundred apples last year. It was unbelievable. It was just solid apple. I, I couldn't believe how many apples were on it, and they were big, big apples and we ate a few of them. But, you know, I was trying to pick them off there because it was breaking the branches. It really was. So, now yeah, that's something I'm going to control. On both sides of that tree, though, I have little beds that I have. Uh, one of them I have nothing in yet, and I need to get something in that. I don't know. I, uh, maybe a squash plant or something because they're not real big beds. They're like two-by-two two, um, beds. They're just little little tiny beds on both sides of that tree. Um, just something, probably a single plant in each one. Now, the one along the edge does have some uh that has some kentucky wonder pole beans along in it um, because there's another trellis right there over a pathway that pathway goes from my animal shed to the pond it kind of it's a kind of a meandering curvy path that goes up to the bridge that goes over my pond area um so i actually have a trellis i just built over that i just got that built over the weekend Finally, I had one there last year. I just used a cattle panel arch over that, but I, this year I actually built a wooden trellis over that. So got that done. So I'm going to just work Kentucky uh, Wonder pole beans up over that. That'll look nice. To my right at this point is our livestock shed we walked through to go into our little livestock area where I keep the quail and the rabbits. There's a mulberry tree right there too. So uh, I don't, that mulberry tree has never produced, well, it's produced just a handful of mulberries. I keep it pretty thick with leaves because I use the leaves to actually feed the rabbits and the, uh, the quail, a lot of those mulberry leaves, because especially the rabbits love mulberry leaves. So, um, that's what that tree is basically there for. I keep it cut about 10 foot tall, uh, and it's really bushy. It's basically like a mulberry bush. It's so thick with leaves. And I think that's probably why it doesn't produce a lot of berries because I just keep it so thick the way I prune it for leaves keeps it really really thick like bush like and i need the leaves more than i need the berries for the rabbits there so anyway we walk down through that path underneath the trellis and i have two more uh trellises uh, they're like trellis boxes with with um lattice on the back sides of them and in both of those areas right now i have peas but i just planted some uh, more beans in those trellises and as the peas die off those beans ought to just start coming into their own and they'll start taking over on the trellis where the peas are dying so both of those have beans in them and they're not kentucky wonder i can't remember what the variety is on that 
but they're a they're a better bean. I like them better because they're they don't have string. They're not stringy beans like the Kentucky Wonder are. The Kentucky Wonder beans I find are fine if you pick them young. You let them get very big at all though, and they get extremely stringy, and you just don't even want to eat them. They, you can't get the strings out of them. They're just horrible. If you pick them really young, they're good and tender though, and they don't have the string problem. Um, so you have to stay on top of those. But these other ones, I let them get a pretty good size, and we never had a problem with the string. I can't, like I said, I can't remember the variety, but they were really, really good. But both of those trellises have that. Last year, I grew sunflowers all the way down along that fence line. There's a chain link fence on that side of the house between the neighbor's house and ours, and I grew sunflowers all the way down through there. I didn't do that this year. I'm not. I'm just going to leave that open. The trellis is pretty good there. We have the mulberry tree. We have the two the two trellises there, and at the very end of those trellises, this year I planted a plum tree. And it looks like it's doing really, really well. I just planted that, oh, probably six, eight weeks ago, and it's doing really good. So uh, that's going to create a nice shady, you know, it's going to create a, a nice um, uh, privacy screen, I guess, along that fence area from our neighbor's yard with all those things there. Now, something I added this year as we walk down that trail to the left, I put a bed in right there also, another raised bed. Um, and in that raised bed, I've got uh, kale and um collards growing so it's a nice long bed i think it's it's eight feet long by like two foot wide so i just kind of you know it's just a long thin bed and a narrow bed and uh just another place to grow a few things like i said i'm trying to make up for me taking those two other raised beds those two larger raised beds out so i'm starting to just drop things everywhere if we follow the trail on back it goes towards the bridge now here's where i did something different i came on if you look at this point on further to the left is our greenhouse and it the greenhouse has a deck on the front of it now that the only access to that deck without walking through the grass was off of the gravel sidewalk well what i did is i came off of that deck with another mulch trail i crossed the trail i'm on right now walking down towards our bridge and i took it over to an area on the shady side of our house on the north side of our house where i just put in the um, wine cap mushroom bed so that trail goes back to there along the, that side of the house and that mushroom bed's right there, which is a mulch bed. And then on the other side of that, I moved our rhubarb, which used to be on the south side of the house. I moved rhubarb over to there and it's already doing much better. There's a rhubarb bed back there and a and the uh, wine cap mushroom uh, bed back there. So that trail cuts across there off of the deck. Now, as we kind of continue around all on this trail, there's comfrey and some other uh, perennials and things along that along that trail. I uh, we come to our deck, we walk over the deck, over the. Uh, I mean, we come to the bridge. The bridge leads over the pond. Now I'm reworking the pond this year. I cleaned it up the other day. I bought a new pump for it, a really high output pump for it, and I'm actually I used to have a small waterfall that came down. It runs down a little creek bed that comes along the back side of the house I put in. So I'm redoing all that. So I got to pull that bridge out temporarily, relay new um, uh, liner down for the riverbed. I'm widening it, making it better. I got an actual waterfall piece that attaches to the end of there that will dump out over a bunch of rocks and will create a really nice fast flowing waterfall that'll run down through that riverbed and into the into our little pond so it'll be really nice now all that doesn't have anything to do with really homesteading that's just more of just our enjoyment of our backyard we really love it's right there because as you cross the bridge you're right back onto our deck all that just comes right off our deck onto that little uh, bridge so that's just a nice little hangout area. We love it right there. There's a lot of stuff growing in there, but it's hostas and 
some flowers and just a lot of greenery and stuff just just really pretty stuff in there now i would like to work in some some edible stuff in that area but right now it's just kind of our enjoyable hangout area we decided to grab a couple lawn chairs watch the koi swim around we got koi and goldfish in there and a turtle in there and they swim around and hang out and have a lot of fun and we like to watch it so it's just a cool little hangout area so that's really the kind of the walk around of the backyard i'm sure i forgot a few things but that's where we're at now if we go through the back uh, through the back gate that's where the aquaponics tank is um the aquaponics tank is doing really well this year but I needed a lot more fish and it's already got cucumbers growing in it. It's got cabbage growing in it, which is doing great. The cabbage is just doing awesome in there. It's got mint and it's got a tomato in there. So it's doing really good. I had mentioned that I had tilapia coming though. And I actually canceled that order just yesterday because I haven't got them yet. They haven't shipped them yet. And I thought I was getting them a couple weeks ago, but they're just booked up on orders and it's kind of a first come first serve thing. And I'm way down the line. And I sent them an email, and it sounded like it was going to be a while longer, so I just canceled the order, and we're just putting bluegill in it now. I was really hoping to go with the tilapia this year, but every week I wait on tilapia shortens that growing season for tilapia because I would have to be harvesting those probably in October uh, because they're just not a cold-weather fish. They would have to come out of there, and, and I'd have to just harvest them and put them in the freezer. Every week that I don't have them is a week less growing time on those fish. So it just wasn't going to work. I'm just, I was getting nervous about it. I already felt like we have too short of a season for tilapia anyway here in Indiana. So I was kind of nervous about make, you know, pulling the trigger on that and, and bringing in the tilapia and they were just, it was just kind of so slow getting them that I just changed my mind. And uh, so I canceled that order of tilapia and, uh, for a refund and they didn't seem to have a problem with that. Maybe next year we'll, we'll try again and I'll just try to order a little earlier, but, uh, right now, <laughs> we're just stocking it with bluegill i've been a friend and and me have been uh just kind of catching a few bluegill here and there and tossing a few bluegill in there so we'll probably throw about 30 or so bluegill in that in that tank uh to feed that aquaponic system it's been goldfish up to now but i want a more useful fish in there i want something i can harvest and eat and bluegill are pretty dang hardy so you know i think even if went into the winter with the heater in that, I keep it going all year. Um, those fish should be fine in there all through the winter. So I could even take another year, har- you know, harvesting those next year, and they could be huge by then. So uh, that's the aquaponics tank. Okay, let's talk livestock because uh, that was a lot. Well, let's let's talk about the compost production first. I have a compost, a kitchen compost uh, system that some of you probably seen some pictures of. I put this new compost bin in my backyard. It's back by my garage. It's not right up against my house, but it's where our kitchen scraps are going. And we just wanted something more convenient. I have a bigger compost set up behind my garage, but it's just really convenient for kitchen scraps. I might have to walk clear out around the garage and to the back of the property, clear around, you know, through the gate, around the back. And it was just kind of a hassle. And I found myself just dumping more and more stuff in the garbage disposal or the trash can because I just didn't feel like taking it out there. So what I did was we put a little, uh, a compost bin back there by the garage. Well, it's a nice, you know, a commercial one, um, has, you know, just take the top off of it. And it's got the doors at the bottom and you can use your shovel to pull the compost out through the bottom. And we bought a kitchen compost pail and it's got like the charcoal filter in the top of the lid. So it keeps the smell down. And so every couple of days we just fill that thing up with our scraps now, coffee grounds, whatever, and it goes in our banana peelings, whatever. And, and about every two or three days I go out there and dump it in that in that compost bin. So that's basically just for kitchen scraps. Now we also throw some grass clippings in there 
and uh, stuff like that just to kind of you know balance the the greens and the the browns and i'll throw some leaves in there if i get leaves or some dead plant material whatever and it goes into that bin and it's working really well uh i like it and it doesn't it's not really put off any serious smell or anything it's right there it's actually in the it's inside the grape arbor area it's actually right there in that area so when i fence that in it would actually be inside that so i'd have to open the gate to toss the stuff in there so that may not be as convenient if i do that that one of the factors on me deciding what to do there is that but that's our kitchen compost system and that's working out so far really really well we have the bigger compost system around the back now that's you know that one's just for all the dead plant material that's for like when i'm pruning stuff and i chip and shred it goes in there most of our grass clippings go through there we bought a new lawnmower this year that actually has a bagger on the back of it and it's an electric lawnmower actually it's battery powered electric lawnmower it's really good it thing works great Uh, you would not know any different hardly than a regular lawnmower except for i mean it's got the metal deck it's solid it's a it's a heavy duty electric lawnmower it's just quieter (laughs) you don't hardly notice the difference using it or pushing it it's just a lot quieter has just as much power and it's got a bagger on it so it's collecting a and we usually fill that bag twice when we mow our yard because we mow this you know there ain't much in the backyard to mow but along the front and and on the side there of our fence row it picks up a couple bags of of lawn clippings which i dump those in the compost system so we're getting a lot of that that's working really well we have the vermicompost systems that are underneath the rabbits and the quail in their area for worm uh, we, we compost with worms there and i just compost their droppings pretty much and all the food the quail kick out <laughs> well a lot of straw i'll tell you what though the the rabbits make a mess too they drop a lot of their straw and hay and stuff down in there as well uh, they're all the time pulling out hay they waste a lot of hay by dropping it down there but the worms eat it so it does serve some purpose still so we have all that going on plus the comfrey gets added to those systems a lot all that working together to say we create a lot of compost so that's really great because we have a lot of garden so we need a lot of compost so all that stuff is is producing a lot of compost so let's move on to the livestock here on this homestead we have three things we have the rabbit quail and now fish so you heard the tilapia update we're switching over to bluegill for that system rabbit continue to be a great thing to have on the homestead i've really upped their breeding a little bit this year i'm trying to get a little i'm going to try to get one more litter each out of the out of the the does this year just to kind of up our our game on that just a little bit now we have had our issues with breeding one rabbit in particular she she let all of her babies die last time she wouldn't take care of them they all died she's due in like two weeks again so we're gonna see how she does hopefully we don't have any more issues there we've been having some ear mite issues we've been dealing with and i just continue to treat that um this matter of fact the same rabbit is really having the ear mite issues too but she's she's over it right now but she's had quite a a bit of problem there so we're kind of expanding that i think i'm adding a doe i'm going to add a doe this year and uh, try to expand that a little bit and create you know a little bit more rabbit meat for our homestead the quail, quail, I really upped my game on that this year. In the past, I've we've had a little bit of quail meat, but a lot of quail eggs because I've just kept the quail for a lot longer, and I've just used them for eggs mostly. And we just, you know, we'll take a lot of the roosters and we'll we'll you know butcher them uh, and and eat that. But I wanted a lot more quail meat because when push comes to shove, if I have to pick between rabbit meat and quail meat, I will take quail meat every day. It's just so good. I love it. It's one of the best meats I've ever eaten. So we wanted to up our game on on the quail a little bit. So 
what I've always done before now is I've always bought my quail from another homesteader, but they're about an hour away. So I would drive over there, you know, once or twice a year and buy quail, uh, baby quail from them, bring them here, raise them, get the eggs, you know, and, and we'd butcher a few and, and eventually butcher them all and then go get more. And, and I didn't want to do that anymore. So we actually purchased an incubator that will hold and got the egg turner. It has the automatic egg turner in it and it'll hold 120 quail eggs at a time. I don't want that many at a time, but I do want to keep it going. Um, so I built the brooders. I, you know, got the incubator going. We've already hatched a bunch, got a bunch more of eggs in there right now. And I just want this constant turnaround of quail for eggs and meat. So we're really expanding the quail operation, uh, this go around. And you know what? I even sold a few quail, uh, to a friend. So <laughs> we've, we, we were even selling a few. So, um, you know, we're just, we're doing some stuff there. We got some stuff going on there with the quail really up in our game on that. And there's such an easy bird to raise. They're messy as all get out, but I'll tell you what, it's really good eggs, really good meat, super easy to raise. So I just think they're the perfect homestead bird, especially for an urban homesteader like me. They're really, really good. So that's kind of what's going on. Uh, with the quail and the rabbits and even the fish as far as our kitchen goes the homestead you know i've mentioned many times the homestead isn't just out in the backyard the homestead works right into the kitchen and into the house um, and as far as the pantry goes there's not a lot left in the pantry as far as canned goods from last year but we do still have some green beans left and some beets and some pickles and i think that's about all we have we have some stuff in the freezer i think still we're still munching on but most everything, you know, it's, it's been canned as it's been eaten. So that's what we have left. Uh, back uh, last fall or maybe early winter, we bought a big Berkey water filtration system. Loving that. I'm going to tell you what, I, I don't know how we ever got by without that thing. That that We're, we're drinking probably a good five gallons of water out of that thing a day. Uh, just constantly adding water to it and taking water from it. I mean, just... Such a great benefit to the uh, homestead. I highly recommend the Big Berkey water filtration systems. They're not cheap, but they look nice. I we got the uh, the stainless steel one, so it looks nice in our kitchen. People say, "Oh, you can take the same filters and make one out of a five gallon bucket." Yeah, but who wants five gallon buckets sitting on their counter in the room? I don't. So maybe some of y'all don't care. Maybe I'm just funny about that. But you know, we got a nice stainless steel. Big Berkey water filtration system on a stand. We have a really nice stand we bought for it in our kitchen, and we're using that thing every day like crazy. I love it. I really do. It's just so that's all my review of it. Get you one if you have the means to get one because they're really really nice. Something I wanted to talk a little bit about was pressure canning too. We have all the you know we do a lot of canning. We've always done a lot of canning. Uh, we've done a lot of water bath canning. We do a lot of pressure canning. Something I bought last year, and I didn't talk a lot about it because there's so much controversy about it, and that is the Carry Electric Pressure Canner. Not a cooker. This is an actual pressure canner. It's built as a pressure canner. It's advertised as a pressure canner, not a cooker. But it's it's the first electric one I've seen that's actually advertised like that. But there are a lot of people who have really strong feelings about how you should not use an electric pressure canner, and that's always been the way it is in the fat and in in the in the past you should a lot of people would try to pressure can with a electric pressure cooker and that is definitely not recommended you should not do that but these things are designed to be a pressure canner they are a pressure canner we bought one last year we used it last year to do a lot of our canning and i just didn't want to come out and really talk a lot about it because because it is such a controversial issue so many people are against electric canners they say you just can't get the right pressures you can't do this you can't do that these things work perfectly i'm telling you 
the only downside to them is they don't hold as much. But w- when we want to do a lot of canning, we break out the big stuff and we do the canning the old way. But you know what? When you when you homestead the way I do on a small homestead, you get little bits of things. We get you know four jars of of green beans at a time or a couple jars of beets and this thing will hold four quart jars and it really works perfect you know we'll do up four jars throw them in there you can set everything up and it's all automatic you don't have to watch anything it just does it and we had zero failures on anything and everything worked perfect and i just feel really good about it you know nothing was bad everything sealed good and and it just did perfect you know and and we went through a whole season of eating food that was canned with that thing and we probably canned i don't know we probably canned 70 or 80 jars with that uh we did some canning the other way too but with that we we did probably get 70 or 80 jars of stuff and we had no failures um and everything did perfect so i i like it i anything that makes homesteading a little bit easier yet still you know you can still benefit from having that food canned from your backyard that's healthy but it makes it a little bit quicker and easier i'm all for it and it seems safe to me and and they would not advertise it as being safe and being a canner if there was any issues whatsoever with today's liability issues there's no way they would so they've obviously had no issues with this thing as far as doing its job and i you know what if you don't feel comfortable using it don't use it I feel comfortable using it. I actually like it. And anybody that would say I'm really scared of the the old other style of pressure canners, these things work really, really nice. And I'll, I think in a lot of ways they're, they're much safer um, because you really can't mess up. It just won't kick on if everything's not sealed up right. It will not build up pressure if it's not right. If something ain't right, it won't do it. And it really won't let you un, undo things when the pressure is built up. It, you have to let the pressure off. So, it, I mean, there's – there's still a safety aspect to it. There's certain things you have to do. You have to open up this valve and do a few things, but so much safer, so much easier and just so much, uh, less of a headache and mess in the kitchen. When it comes to canning, you can just do small batches, set it up. I mean, I've just started at canning and went to bed not even worried about it. It's that, that simple. Don't have to watch anything. So anyway, I just want to throw that out there. It's something I've, I haven't mentioned, but we've been using it for s- several months with no issues. So, but I know there's a lot, someone might even mind even comment on this say and say, you shouldn't recommend that, but you know what? The reality is I haven't had any trouble with it. So <laughs> there you go. Um, we're always trying to improve our cooking from scratch knowledge and skills also. So, you know, that's something that's just continually, you know, building thing in the kitchen, uh, continuing to learn more and practice more with herbal remedies. And, you know, we're continuing to make a lot of our own household cleaners. So that's kind of what's going on in the house as far as the homestead goes. So our overall progress towards self-sufficiency, sustainability, freedom, and a healthier lifestyle, I'd have to say, is is doing pretty good. I would say in a lot of ways we're two steps forward, one step back like most people. You know, we're always moving a little closer to being debt-free. So our self-sufficiency and sustainability and freedom are, are growing in that area. Uh, I'm doing a lot of things that I feel like are better for the environment. We're, we're moving a lot away from a lot of gas-operated things on the property like lawnmowers and weed eaters and moving over to electric cordless things and and, and things like that, uh, even manually operated items, just trying to do my part and, you know, not adding to pollution and things like that. And I don't get over the top on that, but, you know, anything I can do that are small things that don't make a big difference in my life as far as the convenience, I'm all for, you know, do, do better um, when you can, you know, and that's what I'm doing. I still drive a car and I still, you know, I still 
use plenty of fossil fuels and electricity, but you know, we do what we can easily when we can. Um, overall health of myself and my family seems well. And um, here's where we took a step back. We did actually trade our leased vehicle in and upgraded our lease to a newer vehicle. So we continue to have a payment there, but we don't drive a lot of miles. So leases work really well for us. It's a smaller payment. Um, we get a new vehicle, you know, every three years and we don't have to maintenance that vehicle or we don't have to, we don't have to work on that vehicle or anything other than just basic maintenance. And the payments are a lot cheaper on a lease. So we actually save money in the long run. I think it works out really well for us. We turn them in with way under the, the mileage that what we even get. If you drive a lot of miles, leases aren't good. But for us, it works pretty good. So we did upgrade to a newer vehicle um, here just recently on our lease. And so I, I, I call that a step back in a lot of ways because we're hanging on to that payment. But we have a nice brand new vehicle. I still drive my old junky 91 Chevy pickup truck and I'll continue to until it finally poops out on me completely. And then I'll probably get another old piece of junk and drive it till it poops out. Cause that's just how I do. But we like to keep one nice newer vehicle in case we need to take a, you know, a longer trip or, you know, we need something reliable, you know, we just want something super reliable. Um, and, uh, that works well for us. So that's kind of our step back uh, with all the steps forward we do continue to hang on to a car payment. So that's kind of the state of that. Let's talk about the state of the podcast a little bit. Uh, that's going really well. This episode's turning out to be kind of long. So some of you might've checked out, but the podcast is going really well. We've surpassed 1 million downloads a few weeks ago, as best as I can tell. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell because it, the stats are in one area and then we have some stuff going in one area is just under a million, but then we have it playing in other areas that don't get it added into that stat. So best I can tell a few weeks ago, maybe six, eight weeks ago, we actually passed 1 million downloads, which I feel really, really good about with only this is episode 123. I mean, so there you go. If you want the show notes for this episode, go to uh smalltownhomestead.com forward slash 123. But in 123 episodes, we're over a million downloads. So I feel really good about that. Really, I think back about 121, I think we passed a million. So we, it's doing pretty good. We're averaging about 2,000 more listeners a week than uh, just a few months ago last year. Like I think about November, December, uh, we were, you know, so many. And now we're up a couple thousand downloads over that from back then, just in a few months, like six months later, we're, we're doing that much better. So, you know, it's doing really, really well. We're growing. As far as how the the formats of the uh, of the podcast, you know, we're doing a lot of interviews lately, and I like that. And I'll continue to do a lot of interviews. We're gonna, you know, I'll still add and drop segments as I see fit. Sometimes I feel like they're working. Sometimes I don't. Uh, I do occasional solo shows like this and cover topics and, and information. I continue to do that. And you know what my my big thing is though. I just decided I was going to have a lot more fun this year and I'm having a lot more fun this year. I'm talking to a lot more people. I'm, I'm doing, I'm having a lot more fun with the podcast. You know, uh, it was more structured in the past. I think how I was doing things, but you know, I'm just trying to enjoy it a little bit more and have a little more fun with it. And I'm doing that and uh, getting to meet a lot of people doing a lot of interviews, met a few authors and made a few friends. And you know, I, I like doing that. Um, I like doing the interviews. And I really enjoyed our uh, recipe segment as well, and, and we have one for us for you today. We'll talk about here in a minute. So that's pretty much what's going on with the podcast. It's it's just chugging along, doing its thing. I try to bring one every week. Sometimes it gets stretched out two or every once in a while, even three, but most weeks we're putting out a podcast. 
As far as the Homestead Front Porch Facebook group, we went over 22,000 members there a few weeks ago, which is pretty awesome. Uh, added a few things there I wanted to tell you about in case you haven't noticed if you're in that group. Uh, we added something called units to the group where you can introduce yourself uh, there. You can find links to join our newsletter. You can subscribe to the podcast there. You can join our membership community, which we'll talk about in a minute there. And also in, in there, you can find uh, all the... Uh, the past episodes of the uh, the podcast. There's links in there to all the podcast episodes and what they are. So you can go in there and just see kind of a, a directory of the podcast. So uh, that's under the units tab that's in the Facebook group. And also uh, uh, Facebook opened up something for me that I thought was really cool, cool a few weeks ago, and it's called a mentorship, mentorship program. And it's a free mentorship and uh, anybody can sign up that for that. You can sign up to be a mentor or you can sign up to be mentored in homesteading. Um, I took on somebody, uh, here a while back to, uh, to be a mentor for them and helped them out with a few things. And all you gotta do is click on somebody. If you see somebody you think can help you or you can help them just click on their, their little profile they set up in there that they want to be mentored or they they want to be a mentor. It works either way. You can just make contact yourself in there, uh, set up a little profile and then click on the person you think can help you or vice versa, or that you can help and make contact with them. And then it's all up to you. You set up your own little schedule. You guys decide on what they need help with or what you want helped with. And, and you just work out a little schedule and, and you basically just take on, um, a fellowship, so to speak of, of accountability and, and, and mentorship. And you guys can just kind of help each other out and it works really well. I, I know a couple other people have taken on, have done this. I think a lot of people have signed up, but they haven't clicked on anybody's name to get help. They're waiting on the other person to click on them. You got to get in there and just do it. And it, it don't, it don't have to take a lot of your time, you know, or it can, it, it can be as, it complex or as simple as you want it to be. You can, you can spend, you can get on there every day and chat with them. You can chat with them once a week, you, whatever, whatever you want to do. It's, it's up to you, but it's something that Facebook has made available for people to connect with each other and help each other out. If you want some information or you want to learn how to do something, somebody else in there is doing it, click on their name and let them help you out or vice versa. So I thought that was pretty cool. All in all, the, the Facebook can, uh, group continues to be an awesome community and, if you're not in there yet, you really should be in the Homestead Front Porch Facebook group. If you're not in there, just search Facebook for Homestead Front Porch and uh, click to join. It's, you know, it, it's you answer yes to a couple questions and we'll get you on in there. And it's just a great group of people. So that's that's what's going on with the uh, the Facebook group. As far as our membership community, you know, the, the that continues to grow. We're adding content weekly to that. I do I'm do extra podcasts in there, do videos in there, do all kinds of stuff in there. It's just a great little community and it's mainly how I pay the bills for the website and the podcast. So anybody who's a member of that, or if you've been a member there and you're not anymore, some people have left and that's great. And so, you know, we continue to add members and many members drop out and that's just the way memberships go. And that, and I understand that, but if you've ever been a member or are a member or you're going to be a member at some point, I can't tell you what that means to me. Uh, you folks are the ones that keep this thing going because I probably wouldn't do the podcast and maybe not even spend a lot of time on the, the blog and doing uh, articles and things like that if if I had to come out of pocket for every single thing. So well, that helps me pay for all this stuff. They're, they're paying the bills for all this to keep it going. So I appreciate that. And uh, you know, we can always use more members and the more members we get, the more I'll do because it's more I'll be able to afford to do and, and we'll continue to grow this thing. So, you know, I, one thing I've done is a lot more videos lately. 
And I'm adding a lot of those to YouTube also. So if you're not following me on YouTube, head on over to YouTube and uh, connect with me there. If you're not following me on Instagram, you should probably be following me on Instagram if you care about what's going on around the homestead here because I take a lot of pictures and you can see what I'm talking about on the, from this podcast and a lot of the pictures I'm sharing on Instagram and, and sharing on YouTube. So be in those two places as well. But I share even more in, in, in the membership community. We do a lot more videos in there. So if you're a part of that or ever have been a part of that or ever will be a part of that, thank you. It, that is, that's turned out to be something really, really great. And like I said, the more members we get, the better that becomes because the community forums get better in there. The, um, there just gets to be more interaction and it gets better and better. I think we have 96 members in there right now. So, you know, I, I'm thankful for every one of you. So, uh, yeah, um, uh, be a part of that if you want and, and be a part of this thing and take it to another level. And I always appreciate anybody who joins that group. Um, let's just jump right into our homestead recipe of the week. We won't spend a lot of time here on the end. It's been kind of a long episode, but this week's recipe comes in from Katie and it's for homemade cheese crackers. And, uh, sounds like a great, uh, recipe, especially if you have some little kids, this could be just a, a way healthier way to, uh, have some cheese crackers. And make them homemade because everything from scratch is better and better for you. So uh, take it away, Katie. Hi, my name is Katie Trujillo Acosta. A recipe I wanted to share today is for homemade cheesy crackers. I have a two-year-old and a five-month-old, and my two-year-old loves these crackers. So it's just a nice way to kind of cut out some processed food for her diet. So what you do is you start with oat flour. And I never buy oat flour. I just put oats in my food processor. So you need one cup of oats and it makes about a cup of oat flour. And then in the food processor, since you already have it out to make your oat flour, add in a cup and a half of shredded cheddar cheese, add four tablespoons of solid coconut oil and a teaspoon of salt. And then go ahead and food process that all together. And then once that's together, start slowly streaming in about three to four tablespoons of very cold water. I even use ice water for this. Then you should have kind of a dough that forms. Take the dough out of the food processor, make it into a ball, and wrap it in plastic wrap. If you don't use plastic wrap, you could use an airtight container. And put it in your fridge for about 30 minutes. You want to have your oven preheated to 350 during this time. And then take out the dough, roll it out thin, um, about an eighth of an inch, and then just use a pizza cutter and cut it into squares. I make my squares about an inch, like an inch square. And then you can even poke them all over with a fork if you want them to look more like the processed crackers from the store. If you had some fun cookie cutters, you could do that. And cook them on, I use like a silicone sheet. You could use parchment paper too. Uh, for about 20 minutes. I've even done them as little as 15 minutes. Just test them and see when they're crispy. And there you have it, homemade cheese crackers. Yeah, those sound really good and very simple to make it. Uh, in my mind, uh, cheese crackers always seemed a little bit more complicated than that. So you make it sound really, really easy. And, uh, you know, that sounds like something my grandkids would really enjoy. So we may have to whip up a batch of homemade cheese crackers for them. If you want to send in your favorite homestead recipe, you can do that by uh, just um, uh, kicking open your phone and, and opening up your recording app. Most of them have like a voice recorder in them. Uh, you can do that or you can sit down on a computer either way. 
and just record your your uh, recipe. If you have one that it's kind of a homestead favorite for you, for you and your family, and you'd like to share, just do that. Just sit down and and you might just say this is so and so. And if you have a Facebook page or homestead name, you can say that. And a recipe I'd like to share is this, and and let us have it. And try to keep your recording between one and five minutes. And listen, it doesn't have to be perfect. We we love getting these recipes in, and and we love playing them on the on the podcast. And it gives us some great ideas for for taking all that great food from our gardens and our homesteads and, and making something great out of it. So keep them coming. We love getting the recipes. When you record that, just send it in to uh, to me at sthomestead at gmail.com. Just email that to me, and we'll get it loaded up on a podcast. So I hope you'll send those in. If you want to submit a question for the podcast, you can do that by calling or texting in your question to our voicemail at 765 203 one nine four nine, or you can send it to ask at smalltownhomestead.com. We'll get it there too. But uh, I had a couple questions that came in. I'm not going to get to them this week because I don't want to drag this episode out any longer than what it already is. But yeah, we appreciate that. But we'll try to get those answered. And if you have a question, go ahead and send them in. We'll we'll try to get to them on the podcast. Thank all of you for uh, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I hope uh, you care uh, at all about what's going on around my homestead. And and this was a, f- a little bit fascinating for you, or maybe gave you a, some ideas on what you could do around your homestead but that's what we're doing on our little tiny uh uh homestead here at the small town homestead and i hope you're doing uh quite a bit on yours as well and maybe that'll give you some ideas of things you can do even on a small property so thanks for joining me today folks remember these uh the show notes can be found at smalltownhomestead.com forward slash one two three for 123 and uh appreciate you listening today and until next time happy homesteading and god bless Thanks for listening. To see the show notes for this podcast or listen to other podcast episodes, go to smalltownhomestead.com. There you can also read our blog, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and take advantage of the many resources we make available to help you along in your homesteading journey. Please share this podcast and help us to carry out our mission of helping others to homestead today for a better tomorrow.